You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. So good. We're in uh, week number two of our new series called This Audacious Life. This Audacious Life. And we're looking at four of the core values of the life of Audacious Church. And But what we really want you to know is we're not building a culture around a branded church. We wanna build church around the person of Jesus Christ. He is the centre of our church. He is actually the ultimate audacious person. If you look it up in the dictionary, audacious means to be bold, daring, dangerous, fearless, unrestrained by convention, to challenge assumptions, to be free-spirited and to be original. And so really what we wanna do is we wanna be like Jesus. And last week, we talked about being fearlessly devoted. We talked specifically about the way Jesus was fearlessly devoted to the house of God. We made a few kind of um, uh, points. Uh, We looked at the fact that Jesus calls this a house. He never called it a ceremony. In other words, for Jesus, the house of God was never just 75 minutes on a Sunday. The house of God was about family, which is why we wanna encourage every single one of you to get connected into our small groups. You can host one, lead one, or join one, but we want everybody to be in community because Jesus calls it a house. He never called it a meeting. He never called it a ceremony. The other thing Jesus, we noticed is He called it a house, not a hotel. And so, you know, in a hotel, you have no responsibility. You can just come and go, but in a house, you take responsibility. And we learned the lesson last week that if you take responsibility in the house, you get the blessing of God's house upon you, your marriage, your children, your finances, your health, etc., etc., etc. So we talked about being fearlessly devoted to the house last week. This week, part two, we're gonna talk about seriously fun. Seriously fun. Now listen, I know that fun, humour, is a subjective thing. What one person laughs at, another person just stares at. Well, one person laughs over a movie. You know, you you ever had a friend come back and say, you need to watch this movie, it's brilliant. It was so funny, I spat out my false teeth while I was laughing. And then you sit watching the movie and you think, this is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. I mean, there are some people here who, for example, love Will Ferrell, the actor, think he's hilarious. My wife, on the other hand, just looks at him, thinks, not even fun whatsoever. I mean, humour, fun is a subjective thing. You know, I'll often make a comment or a joke about vegetarians. Have you heard that over the years? Maybe you've emailed me over the years. You know, it's this whole idea that if two vegetarians have an argument, is it still called a beef? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Some of you think it's funny, the meat eaters, the vegetarians and vegans are about to send me an email. If you are, my email address is paulreed at audaciouschurch.com forward slash he cares about you. But fun is a, is a subjective thing. One thing I do know, right, is that the Bible says in Proverbs 17:22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries the bones. Don't you love that verse? Sometimes, friends, we don't need counselling. We don't need to go to a doctor, medication. Sometimes we just need to have a good laugh. 
You know, we, we need to, to be with people and be in environments where, where, where afterwards we just gotta lie down because we've laughed so much. Just um, this week, uh, I was at a team meeting and we went to a restaurant for lunch and the guy serving us at the table, he had an Aussie accent. I said, G'day, where are you from? He says, I'm from Tasmania. I said, I had one of the greatest nights of my life in Launceston in Tasmania. He goes, no way, that's where I'm from. That particular night in Launceston, I was with Pastor Mark Foster and we were swapping stories with two other ministry colleagues from Australia of, of things that have happened in ministry whether it be preachers, faux pas, things we said that we didn't mean to say or things that had happened in church context. And it was so funny that I thought I was gonna have an asthma attack. I lay on the floor in this posh restaurant laughing so hard that the manager and the main chef came out with some of the waiters and they were stood around us. They looked at the table, no alcohol was served that night. We were just having a great Laugh, And even now, all these years later, it's still one of my favourite nights. A cheerful heart is like good medicine. And I think that the church should be like that, that we should be a people who embrace fun. Again, I know it's subjective. But have you noticed how there are some people who it feels like they are on a mission to kill fun? You know, you're out to a meal with a few people and between your prawn cocktail and your medium rare ribeye that's being served, in between the first course and the second course, they bring up the subject of death. <laughs> Some people are just out to kill fun. Or you come to church feeling good about things and then the pastor says, Brighton, and that's enough. You go to a wedding and you're sitting next to someone and even as the bride's walking down the aisle, the person sitting next to you says, I wonder how long this wedding's gonna last, how long this marriage's gonna last. Some people are out to kill fun. You know what I'm talking about? The Bible says a cheerful heart's like good medicine. It's true in the church. Some people in the church are just out to kill fun. Some years ago, I've told you this story once before, but we had a lady who was a, uh, I'm gonna use the word religious spectator, who came to our church, she walked through the back doors, walked 10 paces in, she stopped and declared at the top of her voice, this place looks just like hell. And one of the team who was carrying boxes because it's a house that they're taking responsibility in, was walking past, overheard this lady's comment and said, hell, have you been, have you? And kept on walking, you know what I mean? Just the ability to change a, a negative, depressing moment into something quite happy. Honestly, when we started to use iPads, as, as preachers on stage. You should have seen the uh, emails that I got from some people, the blogs that were around the place talking about the evils of using iPads in church. It's a real thing. One person in a blog talked about the whole idea that the Apple logo has a bite taken out of it because it's symbolic of the apple that Eve ate in the Garden of Eden. That's why we shouldn't use it. Now listen, I just gotta tell you, firstly, read the Bible. It never says she read an, ate an apple, number one. But two, I notice that people are on a mission to kill fun. The idea that you can't have trampolines in church. You can't. Did you see it? You can't have trampolines in church. To which I respond, here is 66 books of the Bible. Please give me chapter, verse, book, where it says we can't have trampolines 
in church. Or others that would say, you can't have balloons in praise. Again, I would ask you to show me the Bible reference where it says you can't have. Now listen, I know I'm pushing the edge a little bit and some people like it and some people don't like it and I get it. But we've gotta be careful what we build a theology out of. Because some of the things that we actually believe are in the book were never in the book. Look at what Jesus says, Matthew chapter five, He says this, You, church, are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, friends, there's gotta be something about our life that makes society wake up and say, I don't know what you're smoking, drinking, chewing or injecting, but can I have some of what you've got? Is what you've got legal? Well, in some countries of the world, what we've got is illegal. Is what you've got expensive? Yep, cost a man's life. How much will it cost me? You can have it for free. This idea that, that the light of God, and this whole thing I want you to lay a hold of today is this, is that when Jesus lights up our world, we will light up the world. And a lot of this is, is kind of framed around the upbringing that I had as a Christian child in the 70s and the 80s. Because in the church world that I grew up in, we were really more known in our community for what we couldn't do than what we could do. The rules were endless. Now, I don't begrudge rules and I don't begrudge the motives behind many of these rules. The rules were in place so that we will be in the world, but not of the world, I get it. And the rules were in place so that we the church would look different to society and I get that as well. But I gotta tell you that as a child and as a teenager, many of these rules did not make sense to me. To the point when I was 15 and I began to question my faith, not the person of Jesus Christ, but the rules associated with it. Rules, for example, like, I was never allowed to wear jeans. I never wore a pair of jeans until I was 15 years of age. My sister was never allowed to wear trousers. I grew up in a world where my secret desire was that I wanted to go to KFC on a Sunday afternoon to get a bucket of chicken and sit in the park, Queen's Park, on a Sunday afternoon to have Sunday lunch. But as Christians, we weren't allowed to shop on a Sunday. We couldn't go to sport on a Sunday. The rules were endless. And then, at the age of 15, I was reading my Bible. I had questions of faith, not to do with Jesus, but the rules, and the rules just seemed incongruent with Scripture. And I had a moment where Moses is introduced to God. Moses says, God, who are you? And God says, I am. And I nearly passed out because all my life I thought God's name was, I'm not because my life was more framed on what I couldn't do than what I could do. 
And that began a spiritual awakening in me, which was life-changing. I began to go on, on, a, on, a, on a journey of understanding spiritual vitality, the joy that comes through knowing Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now what happens in churches like ours is invariably at times, people will join our church from another church, enjoy the freedom of the house for a season, and then six or eight months later, send me an email and say, hey, Pastor Glenn, in our last church, we used to do this. And sometimes it's people wanting to reshackle me with the religious constraints that they had in their church that they they fled in the first place. Now get this, I understand personal conviction and personal preference, I get that. Some people love the music style, some people don't. Some people say, why haven't you got any windows in your church? It's because we're doing church in a shed and there's no windows. There's no theology behind it, apart from the fact that this is where we are. Some people love trampolines, some people don't. And we have conviction, and we have preference, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But the moment we put preference and conviction on a par with Scripture, especially when it's not in Scripture, we end up in a whole lot of trouble. The Gospel is called good news. It's a declaration of something that has happened in the past. It's not good advice. If you do this, then you will discover goodness. No, it is a declaration that once we were without Christ, we were without eternity and Jesus Christ died on the cross to give us life and life to the full. It is good news. But I've been to some church services that I walk in and think, wow, who died? Now I know who died, but did you not get the memo? He didn't stay dead. The whole point of church, the whole point of the Gospel is to live and celebrate the goodness of God. And it culminates in John chapter 10, verse 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life to the full, I am the Good Shepherd. He's not saying I've come to give you life to the full where you secretly wish you weren't a Christian so you could have fun. He didn't say I've come to give you life to the full that you can experience it in the ceremony of church on a Sunday and then from Monday to Saturday live like the devil. No, He says, I have come that you may experience something in me that will be so life transforming, so joyous, so good, so wonderful that the whole of the world will say, what is happening in your life? Seriously fun. In fact, I don't know how you read the Bible, but I I see fun all through the Bible. John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. Let me make a few observations quickly. The first observation is this, is Jesus is the local. He's the local. What do I mean by that? Well, in 1996, when Sophie and I left Australia and we moved to England, we became youth pastors in Sheffield and we had a small group of young people and we were praying, saying, okay, God, what is the key to building this youth ministry, building the lives of these young men and women. 
Justin, where are you, Justin? Give me a wave. Justin, stand up, Justin. Justin was there. Justin can vouch for these stories and tell you that they are wholly true. We thought, we heard from God and heard God speak two words and the two words were this, build history. In other words, create moments for these young people that are so brilliant that as they grow up in life and even when they have seasons where they doubt their faith, they can look back at their life and say, you know what, some of the best times I've ever had was in church. That's why friends, you gotta give serious consideration to the type of church that your children grow up in. Sometimes we will move cities for a job or an opportunity and, and second, do we then think about the impact that it'll have on the kids. I gotta tell you that when we started church here 16 years ago this month, the decision that Soph and I, I mean, I was, I was a little bit nervous because we went from a big church to then a small church, no one. And, and my heart was this, God, don't let my young people, my, my children grow up in a kids ministry and a youth ministry where there's no other young people, where they can have fun and experience the goodness of God. So build history was what God put on our heart. And so, so we did all sorts of crazy things. We did a 12 hour party every, every New Year's Eve from nine o'clock at night to nine o'clock in the morning. It was called Serious Delirious. And the games got zanier, the longer the night went on. If we didn't have two or three A&E trips on a New Year's Eve, it wasn't a good New Year's Eve party. It was usually Justin breaking a collarbone or a knee or something like that. We were okay with that because his mum and dad didn't mind either. And we did all sorts of things. One of the things I decided, we decided to do was take our young people to Paris for the day. How are we gonna do it? I rang the travel agent and said, hey, listen, I've got 60 teenagers, I wanna take them to Paris for the day. Most of them have never been out of Yorkshire. How much will it cost? She said, listen, sir, that'll be 60 pounds each. I said, that's brilliant. If you can do it for 60, could you do it for 40? She said, you know what, because you're a charity, yeah, you can go for 40. I said, amazing, if you do it for 40, can you do it for 20? She said, no, I don't think so. I said, that's fine, I'll try another travel agent with more compassion. <laughs> Awkward pause, I'll phone you back. She came back, she said, I can't believe it, you can go to Paris for 20 quid. I said, that's amazing. I said, do you think you can do it for 10? <laughs> there was an awkward pause, she says, you're the rudest man ever. That's what she said to me. Well, the Bible says you have not. Right, so she said, I'll phone you back. She called me back, she said, you can go for 10 quid. I said, that's amazing, here's my final offer. If you can do it for 10, can you do it for a pound? And she responded, wouldn't it be amazing if we could? She said, I'll phone you back. She phoned me back and guess what? She said, you can go for a quid, it was amazing. My wife will tell you, we went down on a coach all the way from Sheffield down to the, the Dover part there, put, the, put the, the bus on the thing and, and went to the other side. We had an amazing time. Do you know, we squeezed 17 teenagers into a Parisian telephone box. We, we played British Bulldog on the beach. It was amazing. Uh, we claimed France as England again. Oh, sorry, it's a different generation, isn't it? We apologise France for 400 years of war but you're French and we're English, it runs deep. You know what I'm talking about? You know, on the way back at Customs, we brought back 61 people. We went with 60, we came back with 61. They kept us in Customs for one hour. They kept counting, went through the list. We went through the list, we kept counting. And after one hour, Customs went, well, we don't know what's going on, but you can come on in. It was amazing. And even to this day, the people who went, still talk about it. But you know, if you go to Paris, 
You can take an English tour guide with you. You can sign up a tour guide from Britain to come and show you Paris, or you can get to Paris and you can find a local, born, bred, educated, raised Parisian, where if you go up to that local and you say, hey, will, will you show me around? Show me not just what everybody else from England sees, but show me what people don't get to see. Help me to experience Paris. If you get a local to do it, I'm here to tell you that when you come back, you will say that is the greatest holiday I've ever been on. Because, here we go, you didn't get a professional pastor or professional preacher or professional clergyman or woman to show you life with Jesus. You went to the local. You said, hey Jesus, I want you involved in my life. Jesus, I want You involved in my marriage and in my family and in my business affairs. Jesus, I really need Your involvement in my mind and in my emotions right now. I've discovered that Jesus is the local. He can show you life in a way you never thought. Why? Because He's the author and perfecter of not only faith, but Colossians chapter one says, all things were created by Jesus and all things were created for Jesus. Therefore, He is the local. Turn off the social media influences. Ask Jesus. Proverbs chapter three says this, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. You'll discover that Jesus has got a lot to say about your marriage. You'll discover He's got a lot to say about mental health. You'll discover He's got a lot to say about money. He's got a lot to say about worry and anxiety. He's got a lot to say about peace. Get Him to show you around because when He lights up your world, you will light up the world. My second thought is this, is that Jesus modelled fun. Now look at this in Matthew 4, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the Kingdom, the good news, not the bad news, the sad news, the mad news, the good news, the good news of the Kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about Him spread all over Syria and people brought to Him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and paralysed and He healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and the region across Jordan followed Him. Large crowds followed Jesus. Large crowds followed Jesus. Yeah, it was sensational. Of course it was. Healing the sick. But I know we've got people in our church who've lived with cancer and have had that moment of all clear and ring the bell. Gosh, talk about joy in those moments. When the doctor says, listen, that which you did have, you no longer have joy. I was sitting with my surgeon this week about my eye and they said this, they said, listen, there's nothing more medically we can do speaking to, to fix your eye. And so at the moment, I'm limited to 30% vision in this eye and that's what they've said about it. But then he said, but the good news is this, it's only in one eye, it's a one eye problem, you'll have the other eye for the rest of your life. And I'm thinking, well, that's good. And I like to focus on the fact that I can see perfectly through one eye and then I looked through the bad eye and gee, Pastor Paul, you look attractive. <laughs> so handsome and the joy and the, and the fun and, 
and what took place in around Jesus. The only people who didn't like being with Jesus were the professional religious people. But the Bible says the common man and the common woman heard Jesus gladly. You know, over the years of watching different movies about Jesus, you know, the Jesus movie and things like that, even though I love the story, I've always hated the portrayal of Jesus, you know, the blonde haired, blue eyed kind of, you know, person who just walks through life like this. And I'll watch it going, that, that's not the Jesus I read in the book. And a little bit of fear and trepidation, a few years ago, I heard about this thing called The Chosen that was coming out, The Chosen. And then I watched the first episode and Jesus is in the first episode. And I found that not only in the first episode did I weep, but every episode I weep because of Jesus. Jesus in The Chosen, if you haven't seen it yet, you gotta download it, get the app, throw it to your phone. It's amazing, it's stunning. Jesus is funny. Jesus is cracking jokes with His disciples. He's making jokes about the Pharisees. He's being sarcastic. The full humanity of Jesus. And I look at it and go, that's the Jesus we know. That's the Jesus we talk about the Bible. God forgive us for having this uh, appearance of Jesus that He was something other than what He was. Fully God, yes. But in every way, fully man, fully human. And the crowds loved Him. They loved Him. And when you get into the original language, the Greek, and you understand some of the nuances of the way Jesus taught, He talked with jokes, He talked with humour, He talked with with certain implications. It was amazing and offensive and brilliant and funny. Jesus through Scriptures modelled fun. And we talked about it last week. Jesus went into church and started a fight. How cool is that? I mean, we haven't had a fight in our church for a few weeks at least. You know, I remember once being on the front row down here and worshipping God and all of a sudden, I got pushed out of the way by some of the protective services teams because there was a guy who was having a moment and wanted to come and throttle me. I don't know what was going on, but afterwards I thought, ooh, that was a juicy service. In fact, I've never been scared in our church before until one day I was preaching and I was talking over here and Penny Pope, God bless her, Penny. Are you here, Penny, in this service? Penny Pope, Penny, where is she? She, she's, oh, she's on prayer team right now. She's praying for you right now while we're in church. That's how amazing Penny. Penny, Penny walked up with her walking stick and I'm talking over here and Penny came and stood there, middle sermon, and I looked here and there's Penny with a big stick. That scared me, but it was fun. It was juicy. When you think about Jesus, Jesus was fun. Whether it be starting fights in church, walking on water, doing the impossible. Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children with bread and fish. What do you do if you put bread and fish together? What have you got? Fish fingers. He fed them all with fish fingers. I think it's amazing. Or at least a fish sandwich. The, the, the Jesus of the Bible is both creative and He's brilliant. And if it's true what Colossians 1 says, that all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, you'll realise that Jesus got a sense of humour by simply looking at the person next to you. They're hilarious, aren't they? Sense of humour. This whole idea that Jesus had a sense of fun. And not only that, 
But the first miracle He did was turning water into wine at a party. What would Jesus do? Probably go to the party. What would Jesus do? Probably turn the water into wine. Now listen, it doesn't matter how much you try to reverse that and not make the wine alcoholic. The reality is this, is everybody at the party said it was the best wine they'd ever tasted. It's the first miracle. Now, sometimes I say that to say this, sometimes we put personal preference and personal conviction and we hold that alongside the authority of Scripture. The Bible does not say that we cannot drink alcohol. It says we should never get drunk. There's a difference. I grew up in a world that was teetotal. It was a conviction that people had, but the Scripture doesn't say it. And the reason I say that is because we have got to change our mind, I think at times, of who Jesus was and the life that He modelled for us to live. It's not a free for all. It's not any party, any time, any alcohol, all the time. It's understanding that the local has created a life for us that we should and can live a life and life to the full. I do wanna say this, if you have a problem with alcohol, then that's something that you do need to deal with. If you cannot drink without getting drunk, the Bible teaches us that that's right. We've gotta learn how to do and deal with that But the reality is this, friends, is when we look at the Jesus of the Bible, sometimes we're making Him say and do things that He never said and He never did. Jesus modelled fun. And I believe that when He lights up our world, we will light up the world. So that next party, that next moment that you find yourself in where stuff is going down, are you like the world? Or do you represent God's world? Are people able to see you and look at you and and see that, yeah, you have fun, but there are actually limits to the way you live your life? Because freedom is not freedom to do anything. Freedom is freedom within the context of not only the laws of the land, but the principles of the Kingdom of God. Jesus models fun. And the last thing as the musos come is this, is, is I want you to lay a hold of this truth, friends, that Jesus, He is your friend. Everybody needs a friend. In a world that's more polarised and isolated than before, we need a friend. Proverbs 18 says this about Jesus, that He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In my formative years in high school in Australia, my first three years of high school, my dad, who was the pastor of the church in a small town, had just built a brand new church facility on 14 acres of land and it was the talk of the city. And around the week that it opened, I went to high school. And people soon discovered that I was the pastor's kid. And so they invented a game called Crucify the Christian. It was fun for them, but it wasn't good for the Christian. And for three years, I I struggled with bullying, both verbal and physical abuse. And it was Pretty horrendous, as bad as it gets really. Probably the worst thing though was not the bullying, but at times looking into the crowd and even seeing my friends from church either laugh at what was taking place or see them walking away. And I learnt this lesson as a teenager. When the world walks away, Jesus walks in. 
because he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's the modern day context of the first responders. We just remember, didn't we, the victims of 911. Do you remember watching it if you're alive? I remember watching, I remember watching people fleeing while the emergency services were running into the very thing that everything was fleeing. That's Jesus. When the arena bombing happened just up the road in 2017, everybody fleeing out, first responders, emergency responders fleeing in. This is the Jesus that we have. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, there's a global statistic that says this, 75% of people in the planet, 75% of people, their greatest fear is the fear of public speaking. Public speaking. Which seems amazing because it's one of the first things we learn to do as children, isn't it? We, we're learning mama, dada, you know, whatever we learn to say. We're, 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 we're born to, to speak in a sense. And yet the very thing that society, people are afraid of is public speaking. I actually don't get as nervous now as I used to. In fact, I, I rarely get nervous these days. And I'll let you on a little bit of a secret. The bigger the crowd, the easier it is. Because in a small crowd, you can see the whites of the eyes and you can see everything that's going on. The bigger the crowd, the bigger the arena, the easier it is because you just spend 75% of the time looking at the camera because most of the people in the crowd are not looking at you, they're looking at the camera anyway. It's the small groups, that's the hardest. I thought I'd give you three tips to public speaking. Number one, know your stuff. If you know your stuff, you're gonna be okay. Number two, internalise the content. So if your iPad fails, if your, your notes fall off or, or whatever, you, you can, you, you've got to internalise. You know your stuff, you internalise your content. And, and then thirdly, remember this, in five minutes time, you'll be doing something else. Whenever I'm going into a situation that I don't wanna be in, I think to myself, you know, whether it be a, the operation on my eye, for example, I think to myself, this time tomorrow, I'm gonna be eating toast in bed. And not just living in the moment, but living, recognising that there's another moment that probably will come. Jesus is your friend. The, the reason I say that is because I want you to think about talking to your friend for a moment. Talking to your friends is just as natural as breathing, isn't it? In fact, the closer the friend, the more natural it is to speak, to converse, to hang out. Think about prayer. You got the Almighty God omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere at the same time, omniscient. He knows all things. He's the Creator of all things. He is the beginning and He is the end. He is mighty, He is infinite. He speaks and things come to pass. He has authority over death and over hell. He has authority over every sickness. God just thinks something and things come to pass. He is incredible, He's amazing. But you wanna know something? When you come to Him in prayer, Probably you don't come with the fear and trepidation of me getting you up on here and say, hey, come and talk for 10 minutes. No, 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 it's, it's, it's breathtakingly sobering to realise that in prayer, we don't even think about it. We just come back to Him and say, hey God, it's me again. Sorry, I've been a bit busy lately and I haven't spent much time with you. I thank you, you're always there and, and you're good. And the answer, the real reality is this is in Scripture. We never have God saying, okay, you 
made the bed, you gotta sleep in the bed. He never says to you, you fix things, you broke things, you have to fix things. He never says, okay, in order for you to access my presence, you've gotta jump through a million religious hoops and do all these sorts of things. No, no, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, now we may boldly approach. Boldly is probably best described in a setting that should make you quake with fear, but you don't. It's as natural as breathing. Like the story of Todd. Todd lived in Washington DC area and was walking through a park one afternoon and walking through the park that one afternoon, he saw a man sitting on a bench and this man was visibly distressed. He was in tears. Todd walks up to the man and says, excuse me, sir, are you okay? And this man, this this soldier began to tell his story to Todd. This soldier was fighting in the American Civil War. To give you context of time. He talked about the fact that how his brothers have died in battle and now he's the only one left to look after his mum, who's also a widow. He said, I came here to meet the President, President Lincoln, but they won't let me in the White House. So Todd says, Sir, why don't you come with me? And he grabs the soldier by the hand and he leads him through the park, leads him through the gates, right up towards the White House. And the soldier thinks at any minute, we're gonna get stopped, but they didn't get stopped. The soldiers at the gate opened the gate, the soldiers at the door open the doors, they walk down the corridors of the White House and he's thinking, we're gonna get arrested. What is going on? Until they get to the planning room, the map room, where the soldiers outside open the door and they walk into the map room. The soldier is quaking and there is Todd holding him by the hand, at which point the generals around the map table move away. Abraham Lincoln looks up at his, lifts up his head, looks at Todd and he says, Hi, my son. What can I do for you? And Todd Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's son, said, Daddy, Daddy, there's a soldier who needs to talk to you. That's what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. There was a separation between us and God and Jesus came to live a life you couldn't live. He died a death that we deserved and in doing so, He made it possible for us right now in this place to boldly approach with no fear, say, God, God, I need You. So come on, with every head bowed and every eye closed across this auditorium, please, front to back, side to side, across in Geneva right now as I hand you back to your location pastors over there. Thanks for being with us in Geneva. But in this moment, as I look around, I wanna ask you this question. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with the God of heaven that we have been singing about and that I have been speaking about this morning? Listen, every single one of us is on a spiritual journey. And today your journey has brought you to this point right here, right now. And I wanna ask you, do you know Jesus? Not through a pastor or a priest or a man or woman of God, but do you know Him for yourself? And you honestly say, Glenn, I have a relationship with Jesus. And right now, the Bible says in a moment like this, that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and He's saying, hey, I wanna come into your life and I wanna have a relationship with you. And I would love to include you in this prayer. So with every head bowed and every eye closed across this auditorium, if you're saying, Glenn, would you include me in this final prayer of this service? I wanna know Jesus. 
This is my moment to invite Him into my life. Then right now, would you quickly lift your hand nice and high and hold it high across this auditorium just so I can see people responding in this moment. Glenn, include me in this prayer. Thank you, I see you. Others, quickly lift your hand nice and high. Nice and high so I can see. Thank you, I see you. Beautiful right there. Others across this place, quickly lift your hands nice and high. You know, a whole heap of people lifted their hands in the first service. And here we are in the second service right now. Lift your hands quickly, nice and high. Lift it up so I can see, then you can drop it down across this place. Thank you, yep, I've got you. Someone else, quickly lift your hand. Glenn, include me in this prayer. I wanna know Jesus. I wanna know Jesus. This is my moment, this is my time. This is my moment, this is my time. Amazing, amazing. I'm gonna give you five more seconds. Four, three, two, one. Amen. Well, come on church, can we stand at our feet across this place? People lifting their hands in this service, people responding in Geneva right now and people responded in our nine o'clock service. If you lifted your hands, I'm gonna include you in this prayer and we're all gonna pray this prayer together. Boldly approach God's throne in this moment. In this moment, He becomes our Saviour and our friend. Church, say this after me, especially those who lifted your hands. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I thank You for this moment. I know I need You in my life. I'm sorry I've lived my life without You. But today things are changing. I ask You to be my God, be my Lord. Help me to live for You. And I thank You that everything is changing in this moment because now You are my God and I am Your child. In Jesus' Name. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Can we thank Jesus for His Word and for that moment right there? Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com.